Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Greetings, Hort Culture podcast listeners. Hello. We are bringing you during this time of year where things are kind of busy. Um, we're trying to bring you a little episode to brighten your week, but also not take up too much of your time. Uh, to that end, I think we are trying to share what we call what a mini episode, Josh? Yeah, correct. Okay, a mini Micro. episode. It's going to be small, on the smaller size. So get out your uh, audio microscopes. Mm-hmm. There's um, less people in it, too. So yeah. just all around. It's just going to be me and Josh. Um, so if you haven't been uh, irritated just yet, just wait. <laughs> Stay tuned. Just wait. So Bald Boys only today. Alexis and Ray will have their own mini episode out. Um, what are we going to talk about, Josh? Uh, we are talking about horticulture in Japan. What What would you know about that? Very little. No. Yeah, actually, probably, honestly, not a ton. However, I did do a study, an independent study abroad there back in 2012, where I spent um, a better part of two months or kind of the growing season of 2012 down in southern Japan, very far southern Japan. Uh, for the geographers at home, it was on the island of Kyushu, oh. which is the same latitude as coastal Georgia, to kind of give you an idea of where that was in terms of plants and things like that Uh, and i was there working on um working on farms that were engaging in kind of pork production um but because of the way that horticulture kind of permeates the activity of people in agricultural communities in japan there was a lot of horticultural activity to see and engage in while i was there and so you were you were there. This was this would have been at the tail end of when you were doing some some reschooling. Remind yes. us again, remind us again on the very tight timeline your uh, what my journey deal is. your journey through this professional and educational life. Sure. Um, well, I did not. I went back to school to get to get an undergrad in sustainable agriculture in at the age of twenty nine mm-hmm. uh, around two thousand nine. So this was, I believe, my third year of undergrad as a 32 year old something Mm. like that and i was advised that a study abroad would be a pretty cool thing to do especially being somebody who has had some travel experience and stuff like that um, and worked out an arrangement um, to do kind of an independent solo travel study abroad and would you confirm that it was in fact a, a good thing to do yes yes i would confirm that there's a lot of options for study abroad um but and I think with agriculture, I, I had long been advised, even long before I had gone back to school, that uh, the overseas agricultural experience can be very powerful mm. to kind of see how other cultures solve what are essentially the same problems that we all face um, when it comes to working with nature. Yeah, and maybe their solutions are slightly different from the ones, or very different from the ones that we uh, put, right. put into those problems. So. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit betrayed because this is supposed to be a hort culture, horticulture podcast, Josh, and you just said that you were there for pork. Correct, which is not a plant. Not a plant. It yeah. is, it, you know, you can make the argument originally plant-based in a sense. <laughs> right, it eats plants. Right, uh, eats plants. 
and that was a feature of the kind of pork production they were engaging in was kind of foraging base pork and stuff okay. but you know there was also a lot of horticultural activity where i was where i was uh kagoshima was the prefecture they're known for two things as far as agricultural products uh the pork production system that i was there for kagoshima kurabota which is like kagoshima black pig but the mm-hmm. other big one is uh they grow sweet potatoes there for a liquor which is called shochu oh. which is also popular across like korea and mm. many places in i've the... had some shochu yeah it's pretty good well it it does the job mm. <laughs> Okay. So there was extensive. We're, <laughs> sounds we're, like sounds like there was a very uh, uh, in depth study abroad experience based on what I'm hearing. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, so there were sweet potatoes, but yeah, I'm guessing sweet potatoes you know everywhere. So people do people in Japan eat vegetables? Do they? Do yes. they grow? Do they grow plants? Is that <laughs> they part absolutely of? Okay. do. You know. Yeah, and uh, that was one of the things that I noticed kind of first that was distinct from uh, agricultural production here in the states is that well, there are many things, but kind of. Uh, you know the perfect example uh, would be you know looking out across this valley where I was working, uh, which the the farm was located in remote sites. So there was a lot of tra- traveling between locations where certain production things were going on. Uh, but in this valley, right, there were some valleys that were predominantly rice production, and then some that were predominantly sweet potato production. Which around the kind of periphery of those places, there were also peanuts being grown. And if you had to ballpark sizes mm-hmm. uh, of fields, not of not of uh, sweet potatoes or peanuts. <laughs> oh right, right. Um, the average kind of size that I saw for the plots was about two to three acres. Oh, okay. Yeah, very small compared to the U.S. average, and but also, I, I mean, large in a certain sense, you know, yes. uh, from a hand scale or uh, you know right and it was very uh mechanically assisted like let's just say for the for a field that is uh sweet potato production right uh everything was raised beds black plastic Mm. into these squares that were about one and a half acres let's say Mm. and for every eight of those blocks let's say arranged in like a little square in the middle of those eight there would be a block of the same size that was very high density, human scale, mixed vegetable production. Mm. Tons of stuff going on in there. And that was specifically for the workers in those eight blocks of sweet potato productions would also have these little blocks for their own vegetable production, right? That they would Mm. work on every day and kind of Mm -hmm. collectively manage to take care of. So they always had fresh vegetables, which was similar to what we had going on, even though we were... So I should kind of back up and describe the farm a little bit. The farm has these multiple teams. There was like a pig team, and that's what I was on. And there was a vegetable team, and they grew vegetables for this restaurant and hotel. And even though I was on the pig team, we had our own vegetable production space for ourselves as employees Mm. to kind of... Uh, supply our lunches and dinners with fresh vegetables and things like that and every morning i mean the first activity when we're all kind of showing up to the main hq where we're figuring out what we're going to do for the day and how we're going to split up into teams to accomplish tasks we all had to spend about like 15 to 20 minutes just maintaining the vegetable garden and it was just kind of the the ease into the day and everything was raised beds with tons of like straw mulch so I have so many questions. One is, did the pig team and the vegetable team ever like play Red Rover or anything like that? Not while I was there. Gotcha. <laughs> Feels like the pig team maybe would win 
but the vegetable team from all the antioxidants and minerals might re- recover from their Red Rover injuries quicker. Possibly. They and were anti-inflammatory. They were uh, fewer in number than us. Uh, so we had like kind of a, I see. a size advantage. I got you. For sure. Well, so uh, my my other question and less important one is, uh, <laughs> so like you're t- this is like a, a farm that you're working for or a business that, that you're <laughs> working with? Like you say these teams, what right. are the teams part of? Are they... Yeah, and, and and so uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead and answer that. Sorry, before I <laughs> no, that's that's a good question because it was it took about a week and a half to put together what I was actually a part of. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> even though I was in it working there every day. Is um, this a cult? <laughs> right. What is? What does it mean happening? to be on the pig team? <laughs> yeah. So there were these teams, like I said, you know, the pig team, the vegetable team. There was also a restaurant and hotel team, and then all of these teams together were sort of. Uh, it fell under the collective heading of the name of the farm, which was, it's spelled Eco Farm, but they pronounce it Echo Farm. Mm. And Echo Farm, the, where the revenue came from for that, there was a CSA, but the members of this CSA were not individual households. They were restaurateurs or restaurant owners who oh. would buy shares to receive produce, whether it was the vegetables or the pork. The pork was kind of the big selling point. Gotcha. Um, and all of that echo farm was kind of a either division or subsidiary i'm not real super clear on the corporate structure but was a part of this regional local recycling corporation Hmm. and so it was all kind of like part of this broader land stewardship thing and that came into play a lot because we had access to tons of materials for building little structures and things like that like the the headquarters where we met every day was this little compound that had all these bays of mm. different materials and things like that that were you know part of the recycled streamline or uh, waste material stream yeah mm-hmm. wow yeah very i could see why it took you a week and a half to figure it out <laughs> right it right. might take me a week and a half to figure it out based on what i just heard and i mean the restaurant and hotel team that's because there was there were two restaurants on site and a hotel and one of those restaurants was just for other employees mm. um and so it, you know had like discounted rates and stuff like that hmm. but you so, so regardless of what team you were on mm-hmm. you had a horticulture component yes Totally. And they encouraged uh, kind of cross-pollinating between the teams. Like there were some people who worked in the restaurant slash hotel team who would spend some of their time in either the vegetable team or the pig team. Mm -hmm. And so that way there was this kind of sharing of skill sets and understanding of like what's going on. Wow. So, so like this maybe maybe this is just a U.S. concept, but you were you on the clock, so to speak, when you were doing the horticulture work? Yes. Well, I mean, it was the way it felt was like it was uh, pretty much you know eight like an eight to five day, mm-hmm. and whatever you were doing mm-hmm. was part of the thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I I don't know. I mean, they they did have a punch clock, but it seemed like it was much more like kind of salary oriented. I gotcha. Like I think it was just to make sure if you stayed late. You know, you were going to get extra for it, but there wasn't a culture of staying sure. late. It sure. was like, boom, five o'clock, we're out. Well, that's pretty cool. So do you, you know, we, we mentioned how, uh, or and it's, I think it's become clear just in this little brief brief conversation, the, the role of horticulture in this space is a little different. Any other kind of 
uh, observations, particular observations about horticulture as it played out there and, and comparison. So just a reminder to the studio or to the, to our listeners, I should say, <laughs> we do have a live studio audience today. Shout out to Arundhati and uh, my dog bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bear's kind of checked out. Yeah. Bear is very disinterested, but Arundhati has <laughs> been clapping silently. Um, so, for you know, for our audience to remind our audience, uh, Josh, you've had some uh, quite a bit of experience working on on vegetable, mixed vegetable, diversified farms in the United States. So you had that experience before, right? So what do you what do you, yeah? What are some of the things that you the that you have any big takeaways? I see you have some notes over there. If you have other things you wanted to share about the experience that I haven't uh, prompted you into yet, well, to, to kind of reiterate a little bit. Oh, the other thing I should mention is that. Uh, the pig team was also responsible for the rice fields, uh-huh. which was similar in size and scope, but more like an agronomic crop in the sense that it didn't require daily uh, sort of, I mean, we would check on it, but it didn't require like right. the kind Not of like livestock or, or right. real or, water sensitive plant. Yeah. Right. But I would say when it comes to the vegetable production systems I saw, so there's kind of two things going on. There's the sweet potato production, which I would say is there very resource intensive ag- kind of agronomic crop mm-hmm. sort of looking mm-hmm. thing where there's a lot of resources going into it and it's a cash crop um, and you know kind of commodity style probably because it's all just being fed into these distilleries right mm. um, and that was those systems where it was all raised bed and uh, black plastic kind of production systems which is sort of what we associate or at least I associate with kind of larger scale vegetable production Mm. in the u.s and some places even you know in kentucky or even with the csa or something Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. whereas uh the vegetable production system for echo farm whether it was for the restaurant or for the employees was still a raised bed system um but everything it was like a straw mulch kind of deal and uh one of the things that was kind of this uh cross-cultural connection was um, they when I went over there, they had heard of and were big fans as well of uh, One Straw Revolution, Masanobu mm. Fukuoka, that kind of like oh yeah thinking and methodology of approaching agriculture, um, which I wasn't necessarily my experience here in the states with um, you know talking to people about Japanese agricultural systems. Like he he was considered relatively fringe within Japanese agriculture, but at this farm they were, uh, I wouldn't say devotees, but... But uh, they were about that. Yeah, yeah, they were about the Fukuoka life. I see that, <laughs> I see. Um, yeah, and it, it was really kind of thrilling. One of my favorite things to relate about that experience was, you know, all these kind of smaller farms, um, it was exciting to be cruising through like a valley of 50, 60 acres, but just see dozens of people in all of these little mm-hmm. fields like you know engaging with nature and creating their livelihood um the, where i was the food was very cheap especially for you know produce anywhere you go it's available uh, and they also had this system for rice production if you when you're going to go buy rice you don't even really have to go to the store there were these periodic kind of vending stalls in these agricultural spaces so it's just you know there's just all these rice fields and then you just see this little pull off the Mm. road where there's like a vending machine and you you know give it some payment information and you get like a however much rice you want and it's coming from like those fields or whatever 
Yeah. Um, so um, it's like that production and consumption is very tightly linked in these communities. That's really cool. Uh, so I was at uh, the the National Ag Marketing Summit um, last year in twenty or this past year in twenty twenty three, and uh, they they had a guy there who from Texas A and M who's he came to Texas A and M recently from Canada originally from Australia. Um, mm-hmm. So Mr. Worldwide 2.0. <laughs> the Anglosphere, well tried. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he um, he was talking about the maybe doing this project, but he had exa- an example of this uh, this butcher shop in New South Wales, where uh, the way that they sell their product, fro- frozen product, local meat to local con- uh, local meat products for lo- to local consumers, but you end up you go through and you. Um, you become a customer, which requires this kind of onboarding process where you have to visit the farm, kind of, you know, CSA sure. adjacent. But you get a, a key code to this keypad, and you enter your keypad to get into the store. It's completely mm-hmm. unstaffed, but it's open 24-7. You go in, you pick up your stuff, you scan it with your phone, you put it in your bag, and you, you know, you're you gone. pay on your phone, and you're out. Wow. And uh, there's another interesting parallel. Um, Tim Woods, who, works with, our, who is, uh, works with our group at the Center for Crop Diversification, hopefully he'll be joining us in the next few weeks to talk some about economic outlooks. Um, but he, he was in, um, in England uh, in, for the past, uh, or for six months over the past year, mm-hmm. and he was talking about they have a uh, liquid milk vending machine. Interesting. Like bring your own container? Yeah, I think so. Or like maybe they have glass bottles there or something. Get a growler a milk. Yeah, get a growler. (laughs) Get ready for the party. Show up to the party. Yeah. (laughs) Super Bowl Sunday, I'm bringing milk. (laughs) Mm. Mm, Warm milk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like to wash down these nachos and wings with some full fat milk. That sounds like a party. No, but it did see, it was cool. And, And I think that these like intermediary technologies, it's very funny that internationally, some some aspects of U.S. agriculture are technologically and otherwise ahead, mm-hmm. um, and in other ways so far behind. Yeah, right. And it's pretty cool to just to see that inspiration and that that cross pollination there. Um, yeah, um, that sort of reminded me as far as like technology used in production. Mm-hmm. Um, the most popular tool over there, as far as something that we don't necessarily see a lot of here in the states of course they all there's hand tools there's a lot of similarity in those things they have tractors etc um do do they think my tractor sexy i didn't ask oh okay <laughs> no, yeah, I you should were, have. Yeah, yeah i was busy you, you were know, figuring it out right um but the big popular thing over there is like so there weren't a lot of push mowers or smaller riding mowers for mm. like maintaining landscapes and all the landscapes everywhere seem to be devoted towards um, some kind of production. And if they're not, it's not as though they're mowed lawns or anything mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing that I saw over there uh, was, so they use line trimmers or weed eaters, but they always get the, they use the attachment where it's like a saw blade. Uh, and that is what is extensively used for kind of landscape maintenance or kind of like a brush things. cutter type vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like one of the things that we used to, so at the periphery of kind of the employee vegetable garden, they would do this seed mix of, I couldn't tell you everything that was in it. It looked like some stuff was like millet and some grain crops or tall grasses or something like that. But something Mm. that just created a ton of biomass, like Mm. these mixes, probably some cover crop mix. Um, and they would let that grow, you know, to some height, uh, preceding, obviously like prematurity. And then would cut it back at the base 
while we were loading up like feed and stuff like that for the pigs to take out, we would also load up a truckload with all this biomass and take that and throw that out in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was this kind of like cover cropping cutting to like feeding the animals and stuff like that. So the space was always kind of, if it wasn't there to feed us, it was to like provide supplement for animals or some other aspect of the production system. That's very cool. That was neat. Very cool. Um, well, do you have any other uh, final final thoughts or any any other things that we, you know, again, we're trying to keep these episodes a little shorter than usual. Sure. Yeah, uh, we could obviously talk a lot more. I have a million more questions I could ask. But uh, And if you all want to hear more about Josh's time in Japan or any other little deeper dives into any of our uh, dark and mysterious backgrounds. Uh, <laughs> An episode on Bear, Red's yeah. dog. <laughs> <An> interview. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, do you have any, any final kind of final thoughts? Uh, just that it's cool. I would recommend go if you're if you're going to travel overseas, make sure to look into what's going on with agricultural production because it's fascinating. I mean, it's same problems but different solutions usually. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for tuning in and for all the support we've gotten over the last year. It's been a really good time doing these podcasts, and I think we all look forward to to recording them and and hearing that people have been listening. Um, a reminder you can you can check us out on Instagram at hortculturepod and if you uh, go to if you need to email us or you can email all of us at hortculturepodcast at l.uky.edu uh, and I'll try to remember what Alexis always says as we grow this podcast we hope that you'll grow with us thanks and we'll see you next time